Welcome to the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right. Welcome, everyone, to episode 52 of the Future Belongs to Creators. I'm Nathan. This is Barrett. We are into our new format. This is our second episode of uh, Only Going to Twice a Week. But one thing that we could not give up because it's in such high demand and people just love to hear us talk and banter on the spot is casual Q&A Friday. I actually don't know if people love that, but um, we love it. And so that's why we do it. But we always start with a little red, yellow, green. Um, Barrett, how are you doing today? I would say I'm somewhere between orange and red. Um, just telling you before this, the state of the world is a very, very sad, sad place to be. Um, yeah, I don't know. All the violence up in, in Minneapolis and specifically mm-hmm. George Floyd being murdered, um, just like really weighing on me heavy. Um, I grew up in Georgia and so the Ahmad Arbery case was one that just like really ate at me too. And a lot of the reasons I, I wanted to leave Georgia were the ignorance and sometimes the, um, just overt racism that continued to exist there and divide the city of Atlanta and the state of Georgia. just like is very sad. And I have a lot of, yeah. a lot of family members and other people who it's driven a wedge between us and situations like this week, just bring that stuff back up. So, you know, I'm lucky in that I am, I'm white, you know, I'm actually more Mexican than any other one thing, but I look like I'm white. And so I get to benefit from that every day. And I don't know, it makes it hard to know how to, how to deal with this stuff and just how to cope with it. So I've been thinking a lot about that this week. Um, having a lot of conversations about how to bring our son up well and how to educate him. And so just trying to focus on the things that we can influence. Um, cause at the end of the day, it takes a bunch of us to make change. So anyways, that's how I'm doing. How you doing? Um, I'm yellow, green. Um, we can get into that. I kind of want to stay on that topic for a little bit. Cause I think, right. So we're watching all of this happen. I don't know that I've been incredibly plugged into it, but I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and, and just the news reports going by. It's just blown away by watching the, even like the CNN crew. Yeah. Getting arrested and like the pretty extreme <laughs> abuse of power and what all is happening there. And then, you know, living in Boise, Idaho, it's, it's interesting because I think I have a lot of that similar dynamic to what you're talking about of people. I don't even know what I'm saying on it necessarily, but people being like caring more about the the looting or something like that, like trying to make it about that rather than about the, the protests mm-hmm. and, and trying to find any reason. Okay. This is what bothers me about it. It feels like people from the circles where I grew up are trying to find any reason to talk about anything except for what matters of extreme violence and racism. And, and so anyway, I guess if we were to, to discuss it for a minute, um, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts, right? As we see all of this going by, what, like, obviously you and I are not out on the streets in Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. you know, there are things going by where we can and have donated to, you know, different nonprofits and groups that are doing that. But like what, yes, there's talking about it. Yes. There's sharing it on our social media and having those conversations, but 
what else can and should we do? Yeah. I think a lot about this. Um, it's hard because uh, one of our teammates, Alexis Teichmiller, has a show called, um, oh my God, I'm going to, anyways, it's The, the <laughs> yeah. Deeper Life or something like that. Uh, it's yeah, a, it's a wonderful show about just the deep topics that affect us. And she interviewed me about advocacy and I am at best an imperfect advocate. Um, but I think the first principle of good adv- advocacy is not to get in the way of the people that you're advocating for and not to make your voice right. louder than the people that you're trying to help and serve and be an ally to. And so that's always the first thing for me is, is making sure that I try not to do anything that will take away from the actual cause or the actual people who need help. Uh, in this case, the black community in America, especially. I think one of the first things is like we are in positions of power, meaning you and me and our roles right. in this company and in the community of creators and in tech a little bit. And so just the mere acknowledgement that this is going on, I think matters a lot. And um, I posted a message to our team just saying like, this is a hard week for um, mm-hmm. for the country really, but especially for right. the black community. And it's really important to know that you don't have to act like everything's okay if you're not okay. Um, and if you need to add it to a one-on-one agenda with your manager or you, or you maybe you don't want to talk about it, but you just need time. Right. Like that's okay. Um, I think that's a major part of it is I think a lot of times anyone that's underrepresented just feels unseen and like they're kind of invisible. They feel like they have to keep showing up even in the face of what amounts to just like psychological trauma on an ongoing basis of seeing people just like you be harmed or, or killed, uh, seemingly for no reason, a lot of times. Right. So acknowledging it, um, I think we can, you know, for some people, like I saw Aaron Levy, the CEO of box today, he, and I don't know if it's like a business partner or his life partner, um, Joel Emerson committed $500,000 to, uh, organizations that are doing work for, uh, in the field of racial injustice. And, you know, I'm inspired by that kind of thing. I'm not in a position today to be able to make that kind of commitment, but I hope to be in the future. And, um, so I think about things like that, using the resources we have to fuel the efforts of people who are already, you know, neck deep in this work and really doing it. Neck deep is a bad phrase I'm recognizing right now, actually. So they're just like, they've been in the work for a long time. Yeah. Um, and have been doing it, uh, with expertise, like trying to start from scratch, I guess is the point. Like don't try and start from scratch when there's other people already doing the work who are more knowledgeable. Right. And then I think the last thing is, I think we have a responsibility within our company, um, and within our families just to learn number one, learn from people who know Mm -hmm. more than us, and then to encourage open dialogue and conversation so that these aren't invisible forces, but they're made explicit and that we're able to talk about them in a non-threatening way so that people who are learning can come along that growth path and can learn with us. And the people who are directly affected have a chance to feel like they belong and that they have a voice in, in all of this in our little communities where, um, where we exist. So those are my basic thoughts. That makes a lot of sense. I think about one thing that we as creators are good at, or certainly skills that we're building is, uh, you know, gathering attention and using that to amplify messages. And and so often that's our own message, right? You know, my perspective on how to build a company, how to build an audience, design, any of those things. And it's interesting hearing this or like encountering these situations. And it's like, 
Look, the world does not need my perspective on any of this, but what it needs and could really use is something that I'm good at is amplifying other people's perspectives. And so using that as an opportunity to um, start those conversations. And then I'm even thinking about, you know, because of the the pandemic and everything, I haven't spent as much time, obviously, with family, uh, particularly family members that would tend to be, I, I don't think that they would tend to be racist, but they would tend to say like, it's not, they would be the ones, right? If you said Black Lives Matter, they would be the ones who would say All Lives right. Matter. And you're like, yes, <laughs> the, you know, they would completely miss the point. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I guess feeling an obligation to lean into those conversations more, mm-hmm. because even though that's just a conversation with, you know, two or three people, it's, that's the kind of thing that's going to be necessary to change it across the whole country. Yeah. Yeah. My one kind of final thought on this, and then I, you know, um, I, I think it's important that we do get onto Q and a, uh, like we promised my final thought on this is I've been reading, I care a lot about, uh, the issue of climate change too. And, um, I've been reading a lot about uh, a couple of different species, sea otters and wolves. And I, I like reading about the little component pieces of ecosystems and apex predators are a thing that humans have always just like hunted to extinction basically because we fear them mm-hmm. and we're threatened by them. I've just been thinking a lot about the fact that I think the same base level emotions drive both of those lines of action of hunting things to extinction of harming black people overtly destroying the environment to the point that we can't live in it. Like it seems like there's a universal thing in common of all those, uh, things that we do in the world that's tied to a lot, I don't know, a lack of understanding, a lack of education, a lack of maybe a lack of dialogue. And, uh, I just feel like we have so far to go as people. And so I guess my message for everyone listening would just be do your part. I think the first thing is just become more educated. Um, my creator of the day will be mm-hmm. someone that I've learned a lot from on these issues. Uh, and do your best to, to be, to amplify. Yeah. I think you're exactly right to amplify the voices who are doing a great job of educating mm-hmm. and then go from there. So, yeah, that's good. Um, there's, I'm just going to acknowledge that there we're, we're going to transition and there's no good transition. Yes. And so I'm just saying that, that it not to downplay anything or, or any of that, but we did, we did promise content on one topic. And, and so we're going to dive into that. Uh, and that's questions. So if you're joining us uh, live in the chat today, we'd love to uh, take your questions really on on any subject that affects creators. Um, and so we'd be happy to answer questions about anything. We do have a first question from um, Chris Bo, who is one of our regular listeners. Um, and he asks, as your company grows and matures, should you stick with serving the original target customer needs better than anyone else? Or should you expand and cater to other, potentially bigger, customer segments with slightly different priorities and needs? What's ConvertKit's take on this? This is a great question. And I think our answers will be, they will be relevant, but they might be slightly different than a creator business. So I just want to call that out because we Mm -hmm. do run a software company and we have quite a few more customers than your typical creator might. Although our audience size is not necessarily any bigger than some of the creators using our platform. There's no right answer. It's the first thing. There's no right answer. So like many questions, um, it varies. My perspective on this, or or the way we are thinking about it, I guess, might be the best way to answer it, is that we started out serving bloggers, and Mm -hmm. that resonated deeply. We were able to build a specific set of features that worked really well for that group of of people, 
And what started to happen was that we began attracting other types of creators, podcasters, YouTubers, um, course creators, artists. We learned that Blogger slowly became, I don't know, less relevant in terms of how all of the people in our audience identified. And so in some ways we were being pulled into something bigger than just bloggers. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we learned that that term didn't apply to everyone. And so as we paid attention to that and we saw as much as anything, I mean, the way the economy has continued to change where people are more and more earning incomes from different streams, maybe a day job and a side project and a creative outlet and everything else. This term creator is really something that encapsulates uh, the identities of many different types of people that we serve. And it's being popularized by companies like us and Patreon and YouTube and a lot of different companies now are all using the same language, which creates power, right? Language has meaning when it gets used. Mm -hmm. And so we were early in kind of making that transition as we started to see this being the identity that people really carried with them as a part of our customer base and now trying to define that so that people understand what that means. And so we have expanded from bloggers to a wider range of creators that include, you know, musicians and designers and artists and photographers and chefs and all of these groups of people that, you know, maybe if they specifically had a blog about those things, they would have been in our audience before. But now it's it's also the people that are just deep in whatever their practice is. And um you know, we get a lot of people who ask things like, well, would you ever go enterprise? Hmm. And this is often kind of what software companies do, right? You have a, I don't know what equates like a B2C business to consumer type audience uh, or a small business type audience. And then you go enterprise and enterprise, think of it like a fortune 500 company, very large organizations with lots of employees and big budgets. You you think in terms of like annual deal values, um, when you get into those big companies and it's, so it's makes sense when you have more scale to do that. Cause you can make more money with less customers. And our answer has always been, well, our enterprise is just bigger creators. It's like yeah. creators whose names you would recognize, not companies who have thousands of people working for them. Tim McGraw is our version of enterprise. Exactly. Tim McGraw or Gretchen Rubin or Tim Ferriss or um, Shane Parrish or, you know, whoever, a lot of these people who yeah. are already on the platform, you know, your dream would be Taylor Swift as one of our customers. Yep. Um, oh yeah. I'm just going to keep throwing that out there into the universe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so for us, we're saying like, yes, we want to continue to serve bigger creators, but they're always going to be a human being's name for the most part, or maybe like a website name. And we're not trying to serve massive organizations. So we'll make more money as the creator community grows, but we're not going to go change who we're fundamentally for. Um, and that comes from my belief and I'd love to hear your take on it, that I just think you lose focus right. when you expand beyond a clear customer base. I have a lot of thoughts here. Obviously, you know, living through that whole journey of making those changes, the first narrowing in and focusing on bloggers and getting specific about that, which is an amazing move with great results. So highly recommended going after a niche as we've talked about in the podcast. Um, I think as a creator, this is some of the power of, creating under your own name. Cause one thing that happens, right. Is you have tons of different interests. You have so many different interests. And if you spin up a project for each one of those interests, then you're going to end up with these orphan projects where as you're learning so fast, you're like, this is super exciting. This is the best thing ever. Okay, cool. I learned that. And it's not as exciting anymore. And now I'm moving on to the next thing. And so if you end up creating under individual names, 
for each project, then you run that risk. But if you create under your own name, then it's like, cool, well, I'm, I'm going to follow Nathan Berry. I'm going to follow Barrett Brooks as they go through this journey. Like right now, I talk way more about building a software company than I do about user experience design. But a lot of people have made that shift with me. But if my site was uh, uxdesignprinciples.com or something like that, it'd be way harder to make that shift. So that's something that I would say at first is like, if you can structure the project in a way that, that you can pivot that. And then I think the second thing that just that I would add to what you said is there's sort of this obligation or guilt that you might feel to your original group, the people who got you there. And, and so you might be like, Oh, I can't move on to this new audience. Right. Cause everyone's expecting me to talk about design. And I think you can gracefully say like, thank you for everything you've done to get me here. But like, this is where I'm going, going forward. And people are like, Oh, your content was so much better when you talked about design or, or, you know, whatever else they might say. I could see that as being a YouTube comment, right? <laughs> Somebody's like, what are you doing talking about this? Like, you know, I followed you for that. Now you're letting down this like social contract. And I think you can just say, yeah, but this is, this is what I'm interested in. This is my passion. And like, you can make this leap with me or you can leave. And, and you don't have to say it in like a really harsh way. It's just naming a reality. And so I would say, as you're thinking about making this pivot from one target customer, one audience to another, Yes, factor the audiences into it, but do what's best for you in your own interest. Because you don't want to end up in a situation where you're like, yep, I'm still creating this kind of content when really I'd rather be creating this other thing here, but I'm doing it out of obligation. Yeah, I love that. It it gives people permission to change things when they're not serving them anymore. Mm -hmm. Sometimes being a creator is the best way to learn how you want to be as a creator long-term and who you want to serve. Many of us, you know, we've talked before on the show about running away from something versus running towards something. And one thing I know, like I've changed who my audience is as a person over time, where I went from early on really trying to help students and and early, early career professionals. And certainly I'd still be happy for those people to read my work. But as I've grown and learned more about my own perspective, I've shifted who I'm actually writing for and who I'm sharing with. And I don't view anything wrong with that. You know, that's just a matter of really coming into your own and, and kind of understanding who you want to be when you grow up, which is going to change the more you learn about yourself. I have more thoughts on that, but I'll save it for a thought of the day. Okay. Let's see. All right. Emily uh, asked a question. And uh, those of y'all who are live with us, uh, drop your questions in the chat. We'd love to answer them. Um, we've got others we can pull from, uh, from our Facebook group and from the community, but we'd rather hear your questions too. Uh, or instead rather. So Emily asked, have you ever struggled with learning faster than you can implement? And if so, what did you do to slow down instead of getting caught in a procrastinate learning cycle? Oh man. Well, first the procrastinate learning cycle. When I hearing the question, I realized I don't think I get stuck in that cycle nearly as much as I used to. And noticing I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering why. Cause I for sure remember getting stuck in that cycle a lot before of like, Oh, I got to keep learning. And here's this other thing. But now I'm pushing much more towards action. I wonder if it's because I'm not the one implementing things as much. Mm. And so I'm, I can keep learning as other people are implementing it. I guess the first thing I would say is past me can relate a hundred percent to the procrastinate learning cycle, learning faster than I can implement. That's interesting. I, I think that's been totally the case at other times. I would just say, and this is a really simple answer of set aside some amount of time to at, at the least or at the bare minimum, document your notes and your learnings, 
right? Because you can get into the cycle of learning all the time and you're maybe highlighting and taking notes, but then actually having to summarize it. You know, maybe at the end of the day, there's a 30 minute block or 20 minute block where you're like, great, I'm going to write down what I've learned and my perspective on it. And that's how I'd start to shape those blog posts. doesn't mean you have to leave learning mode, but you can take a break from it. What would you add? Conveniently, I wrote an article about this. <laughs> uh, y'all will get tired of hearing that from me eventually, but it's good because it means that I was onto something. How long ago did I write this? I wonder. There's no dates. Anyways, when I was working at Fizzle, I wrote this article called uh, Just in Time Learning, How to Use Learning as a Tool for Business Progress. Oops, I shared the wrong, shared my whole screen. Hold on. Okay, so uh, the concept behind this article was was exactly this problem, Emily. I love learning, and it's definitely a form of procrastination, uh, or it can be, rather. And I think that comes from a few different things, and I kind of highlighted them here. One is fear, fear of taking action, fear of the unknown, fear of uncertainty um, in running your business, especially in the early days. It's just so easy not to know what to do. Um, Mm -hmm. the other thing is like productivity feeling learning can feel like a form of checking something off your list. You know, I read an article, I read 10 articles, I read three books. It's a way to almost be like, yeah, I was productive, but learning is only as valuable as what it enables you to do. And so I'd kind of think of, um, you know, whatever, I'll post the link to this article so you can read it yourself. But there's two types of learning that I do. One is I need to learn something in order to achieve a thing that I'm trying to achieve right now. I think part of the reason that it feels like um, I'm not getting ahead of myself in my role now is that this company moves fast. I mean, we've we've grown yeah. very quickly. We've got more people than we've ever got. We're leading on different problems than we ever have. And so on some level, I I can't read enough to be uh, as prepared and as much of an expert as I want to be in everything that we're doing. I also don't have, like, I can't stop doing. There's no real room for me to just like stop and procrastinate by learning all the time. And so on some level, the accountability mechanism of having a team around me has helped that. I think this is a problem that is somewhat unique to solopreneurs and individual creators because you are your own accountability mechanism. Right. And so you have to have all of the self-discipline to know when you're actually just procrastinating by reading one more thing or listening to one more thing. So the first thing would be, I learn when I need to do something. And uh, I've just started, like, I even find myself now, I'll see something on Twitter, I'll see something come through my email inbox that's a resource. And I'll always feel this obligation to it. Like, oh, I should read that. Why do you need to read that? Right. And so I've just started giving myself permission to X out of things and know that if I ever need to know that in the future, like how to set up equipment to run a podcast, for example, I will find the articles I need. I'm a smart human being. In that moment, when I don't know how to do something, I'll know how to find it. Right. And that is like a compulsion I've really had to let go of is not reading the thing right now. And then the other kind of learning I do is I referenced a little bit earlier is just topics that are interesting to me that aren't related to the business. So I read a lot of biographies, uh, historical biographies. I read a lot of nature books, climate change books, I read a lot of fiction, science fiction. And those are, those are learning. I take notes when I'm reading those books, just like I do in anything else. Um, I store those notes in a database in case I ever want to reference them in my writing or creating. But I also know that that learning is not for action. It's for general knowledge. Yeah. So anyways, I would differentiate between the two and for the stuff that's business related or, uh, trying to get something done, I would learn as I needed, as opposed to preemptively. I like that. 
Um, okay, next question from Harris. Since it's 2020, you have to start converting all over again. What books, courses, mentors would you be consuming for the purpose of starting the business? So if we were starting over right now, I'm trying to think of the people that I followed a lot, you know, early early on who were influential, like Amy Hoy and Heaton Shaw and Patrick McKenzie. And so I think I would for sure have that whole crew influencing ConvertKit. You know, I think ConvertKit's bootstrapped roots have really given us a lot of strength. I would add, I think that community of the bootstrap software world really writes off venture capital. It's like seeing something with one thing that's wrong with the community and be like, well, let me write off that entire thing instead of going like, okay, that's a different perspective than what I have. What can I learn from that? What, what can I start to separate into? I agree with this and I understand it, or I don't agree with this, or even I don't understand it. And also put those in different categories. I don't agree with this and I don't understand it are often lumped together into the same category. And like, you really, you should split those out. I would add in some more of those high growth uh, companies, you know, even like much later on reading uh, uh, Blitzscaling by Reid Hoffman, you know, um, I think that was really good. Or, um, you know, trying to follow more of those founders that are uh, setting a more aggressive tone, growing really quickly. I think of um, like Joe, who's the CEO of Loom, um, really thoughtful founder, growing very quickly, very intelligent about it. And would just provide a really nice balance to the the other voices that I was getting a lot of. Yeah, I love that. Um, one of the things that I would do if I were going to start something again today, number one, we have an unfair advantage now because we've done this already. <laughs> yeah. And so a little bit, I have to actually go back in time. But what I wish I had known is that following operators who are running businesses you admire, I think is better than following teachers who have never been operators. Because there's a big gap in understanding and like reality of how things go between those two groups. So I would follow CEOs, COOs, executives, companies that I really look up to and that I think have done business well and in a way that I admire. I might even follow some CEOs and CEOs of of businesses I don't admire, but that have been successful and try and learn like, what are the commonalities? And then why is it that I I don't look up to them as much? Other resources, like I think about a lot of our book club internally, that we've done here, Nathan, uh, books like Radical Candor. I think learning to be direct and to care deeply about the people you work with is one of the most valuable things you can do because avoiding those hard conversations is brutal. It will be brutal on the long-term trajectory of whatever you're trying to start. Uh, Erica Joy on Twitter um, said a tweet yesterday that was something like, if I had a magic wand, I would eliminate any conflict averse person from a leadership role. Mm. And I found that really interesting. At first it kind of hit me interestingly. It's like, oh, well, you can't just kick everyone out. But then I thought, <laughs> right. but yeah, if you're not willing to have some conflict, I don't know that you should lead a company because you can't just accept everything at face value. And you certainly can't lead in a passive aggressive way if you want to be successful um, long-term or if you want people to enjoy working for you. There have certainly been some passive aggressive leaders who have made it, but uh, I would advise against it. Um, other books, um, Predictable Success, I thought was a good one that really helped us yep. understand the stages of building a business. The Lean Startup, I think, was one of the the earliest, biggest influences on me on getting to the point of failure as fast as possible. Yeah, those are some of them. I think uh, The Dip by Seth Godin would be another one that I would recommend. Understanding like the, the uphill battle you're going to have over time, uh, especially in the early days as you get started. I could just keep on going and going and going. 
<laughs> yeah, but, but I think that I think that's a good place to to call that one. There's a lot of good things. I think the only thing that I would add to that is like bringing in this level of emotional intelligence that you're talking about with radical candor and with, you know, reboot's been so helpful for that. And that's, I think I would focus entirely past me would focus entirely on business strategy and all the stuff. And then, you know, like me doing it over again would focus on my mental health and my team's emotional intelligence and, and all of those things so much more. Yeah, that's true. I think there's those, those two sides and they are kind of a yin and yang where yes, you need to understand business strategy and how to make the business actually earn money. But the other side of that is you have to be a leader worthy of following. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think to do that, the ultimate in leadership is understanding yourself, strengths, flaws, weaknesses, everything in between, so that when your weaknesses show up, you recognize it and it's not on everyone else to try and educate you about them, but also so you can lead from your places of strength and then hire around you into your places of weakness, um, which is a good parlay into Kurt's question, which is if you, uh, when you want to start hiring a team, how do you decide what role to hire first? I think we answered this on, on a past Q and a Friday, I think two or three episodes ago, um, or Q and a Friday episodes. Ago. Yeah. So 20, 20 episodes or something. Ago. So definitely go back and, and listen to maybe two or three, uh, Q and a Fridays ago. The short answer is basically hire for things that you don't want to do and hire for things that make the business money or that allow you to focus more on making the business money. That's kind of the summary of our answer there. Yep. That's good. Um, Steve answers a meta question that uh, we'll answer really quickly. How are you measuring the success of the podcast? You're willing to share numbers, downloads, any of that. Um, so we're measuring it in two ways. One, does it get us out there creating? Does um, Are we having these conversations? Are we connecting with our community? That kind of thing. And then the other thing that we haven't been as good at is we are measuring it from a numbers perspective. You know, we had a line that I think sums up our thinking a lot uh, from a handful of episodes ago of like, if it's not in a spreadsheet, how do you expect it to come true? <laughs> and cause that's how we think, right? Um, we put everything down. And with this podcast, we hadn't been doing that. We'd been like our measure of success was showing up and being that city voice. Yep. And so right around as we transitioned, we realized, okay, it's time to push the limits there. So right now, um, you know, the podcast is getting a hundred to a couple hundred downloads per episode. Um, and that's, that's fine. We're thrilled to have everyone listening, but we know we need to push it. And so we have two specific goals that I'll just call out because it's good to list out. Um, one is to get 50 uh, live viewers to each episode. Uh, we're averaging about 20 right now. And then um, the other is to just get to that. Uh, first is just 250 subscribers. So not downloads per episode, but like active uh, subscribers. And so we set what we think are actionable targetable goals like that we can get to and then we'll knock those off and then put uh more aggressive goals in place as far as growing the reach beyond that yeah yeah that's exactly it uh, early on i think it was just showing up and now it's it's like okay if we're going to continue to invest here you know we could use our time in a lot of ways and there's a, a high opportunity cost and so we need to make sure we make the most of it uh, for the business as well yeah okay i think this will probably be the last question of the day clayton asks who are some of your favorite operators to follow my first thing is i try and follow mostly operators or thinkers on Twitter. So if you want to 
look at the people I follow on Twitter. It's not that many, it's like 110 or something like that. So you can get through them pretty easily. Uh, definitely do that. One of my favorite things to do, I'm a Twitter person. I, you might like other platforms, but I find that a lot of the operators of companies tend to be on Twitter too. Um, I follow thinkers who I respect, who have low count of number of people they follow. I look through their followers as a way of seeing who else I yep. might be interested in. But I'll throw out a couple real quick. Um, Austin Reef, who's the co-founder of Morning Brew, um, super interesting. Allison Barr Allen, who's the co-founder and COO of Fast, which is a uh, basically click one click to buy app for any e-commerce um, site on the web. Um, let's see other ones. Uh, big fan of Wade Foster from Zapier, Zapier, however they say that. Um, Zapier, Zapier makes you happy. Okay, Zapier. Uh, really big fan of Webb Smith. He's been all over the e-commerce world, uh, including co-founding a shirt brand called Mizzen and Maine, and now runs a paid newsletter. Patrick McKenzie, who you mentioned, who's at Stripe. Yeah. Um, and then I had one more that I saw just a second ago. A big fan of Danny Meyer, who's the CEO of Square Union Square Hospitality Group, which is actually a restaurant group, but I think yeah. you can learn a lot from him. And then um, a lot of people follow Paul Graham, who co-founded Y Combinator. I actually enjoy following his partner, Jessica Livingston, as much or more uh, and hearing <laughs> the stories that she shares from her side of things. Um, but you'll go through, if you go through my followers, you can see a bunch of different operators there that I follow. Um, a couple others that I would add, uh, Andrew Wilkinson, really enjoy his stuff. Um, he gets detailed in, into numbers. Ryan Delk always has a good perspective, but he doesn't tweet that much. Ah, that's a good list. There's one more who I'll use as my creator of the day. So if we can get some, um, maybe a transition. We can. I'll just say to Harris said, golly, you guys read a lot of books. How much time do you spend reading? And I will say that I do believe that reading is a core competency of leadership. And whether yeah. it's listening or physically reading, I actually have an ambition to read a lot more than I do mm -hmm. uh, because I just know how much it serves us as a company and me as a leader. So I would just encourage you to build that habit if you want to, if you want to continue to grow your business. I think, yeah, along those lines, um, actually I was reading, uh, Ryan holidays, uh, still, this is the key. And he has a line in there that's often quoted, you know, and so it's not from him. He's quoting it from others about basically books just being such an incredible way of getting 20 years, like 20 years of someone's life experience and five hours of reading time. And you're like, and I can have that for $13. Like that's pretty incredible. The other thing, there's a quote that I'm totally going to butcher, but it's something to the effect of um, those who don't read are basically the same as those who can't read. Mm. And and it's interesting to think about it because, and I wish I had the actual quote in front of me, but you're like, oh, I, I totally can't read. I mean, I don't, but I, but I could if I wanted right. to. And, and that was me for a long time. It wasn't like I didn't want to. I just never made it a priority and realized that's kind of the same as not being able to read. Like having act, having the ability to read and having access to all this information then be like, yeah, no, I'm good. And I'll just let that slide by. Oh, all of your life experiences isn't this one thing that I can consume in five hours? Nah, pass. So now I've kind of gone the other way. Uh, and audiobooks have been huge for that, um, for me of being able to be really active with my hands and do projects while listening to, you know, these great biographies and everything else. Creator of the day. So <laughs> I don't think I've even told you, but we just watched um, episodes four, five, and six of Star Wars with the boys. Uh, and then we just watched episode one 
And so we've been working through all of that. So it's, it's very, very timely. Um, so had to bring a little light into career. the world today, you know? <laughs> I like it. Uh, my creator of the day uh, is a great operator follower. She doesn't tweet nearly as much as I would like her to, but uh, that's Jesse um, Gennett. Um, just pulling up screen sharing. There we go. She runs a company called Lumi, uh, which does like custom packaging. So if you were, you know, an e-commerce brand and you wanted to have custom packaging and shipping and, and all of that, they provide stuff for Stitch Fix and all kinds of different companies. I'm trying to find the example. Where is it? Anyway, she does these amazing videos that I think she has linked to uh, in different places. She's got her work from home episode and other stuff, but she's got these great videos breaking down packaging and, and all of that. So even if you're not in e-commerce and shipping things, I would follow her. She's just at Jesse Gennett on Twitter because of the way she explains her product and business and the way she shows up on video. It's so hard to do, but she does it in such a natural way that I'm just like, I'm going to be like you when I grow up. I love that. Um, it brings up a good point that uh, I should have brought up earlier, which is that uh, if you are a man, try and follow more women founders than you will naturally. I would, I would just encourage you go through your Twitter followers or Instagram or whatever, and just count how many men and how many women do you follow? And if you're a man, I bet it is drastically overrepresented uh, by men. Um, yeah. And if you can get anywhere close to half and half, uh, I think you'll, it'll go a long way to you educating yourself and learning more about different perspectives in the world. Similarly, if you're white, follow more black founders, if you're, or just any people of color who are creators and yeah. founders. So anyways, it's been incredibly educational for me. Um, and it's a way to learn from people without them having to do emotional labor specifically on your behalf. You can just learn by being in their presence instead of um, specifically asking them to educate you which can be burdensome. Uh, my creator of the day is very much tied to how we started the show. Um, Ta-Nehisi Coates. Uh, I might've mentioned him before, but I think I just have to mention him again today. I grabbed this book, uh, Between the World and Me, on our first move across the country. We've, we've driven across the country three times now, uh, from Atlanta to Portland, Portland to New York, and New York back to Portland. And on that first trip from Atlanta to Portland in 2015, this book had just come out. It is written... Um, basically as a letter from Ta-Nehisi Coates to his son and they are black and he is um, effectively educating his son and through that format, all of the rest of us on what it's actually like to be black and a black man in America today. And it's heavy. I mean, I'll tell you right now, it's heavy, but golly, it opened this window into a world that I had not done enough to understand on my own. And so I would highly encourage that uh, you to pick this up as uh, my resource of the day. And if you're not reading Tanahasi, um, if you're white, he might make you uncomfortable. And I would just tell you to lean into that because it will probably help you understand more about your experience of life up to this point. Um, and I think that's super valuable because I think love comes from understanding. And, um, and I think love is ultimately not to be completely corny, but I think love is the only way out of situations like the ones that we're in right now. So that's my person yeah. and resource of the day. That's good. Um, I've got a resource, but I'm going to save it for Monday. I think, I think, I think it, it's on a different topic and, and that's a good, good place to wrap up. Um, I had this thought come to mind with the question that Chris had, had asked about, you know, it's really a question about transition. And it made me think about this thing that, so that question about transition and 
you know, our discussion about what's going on in our country right now and conversations about, you know, maybe this gap between where we grew up and the environments that we came from and, and how we want to show up in the world going forward. You know, all these things made me think about something that Reboot does at their, uh, I guess their in-person, you know, retreats, boot camps, whatever you want to call them. Um, and Reboot's the coaching org- organization that we work with. And they have what they call the fire ceremony. Whenever I heard about this, I'm like, what is going on? What? <laughs> a fire ceremony? Okay. You know, basically what it is, is they spend a lot of time helping you understand these things about yourself, past experiences, um, ways that you showed up or reacted, any of these things that have served you. And they, these may be like uh, negative traits in yourself. Usually you identify them by finding negative traits in other people that really irritate you and then realize like, oh, that's because I do <laughs> the same thing. Um, and so like identifying these things and really focusing on, okay, how has this served me? How has this shaped me into who I am? What opportunities has it given me? And then what is the time to move on from? And often you'll find these things that really played a role in, in who you are and, and how you see the world and helped get you somewhere, maybe to where you are today. Um, but then you realize like they don't have a, a place for it. You don't need them going forward. And so, you know, what you do in this like uh, fire ceremony is everybody's sitting around in a circle around, you know, around the bonfire and you just have something that represents um, this thing that you're letting go of, that you're retiring. And, and, you know, you just talk about it, say what it is and then place it in the fire. And, and uh, it's like this little closure in this, this, this little ceremony for letting you let go of something and say, that's not a part of my life anymore. Um, and doing it respectfully. I think there's so many things that maybe we used to do that we're like, Ooh, I don't want to do that anymore. And so it's like from a point of shame, like I'm embarrassed that that was a part of my past or something. And, uh, I think it can instead be really good to like, look at the complete picture and then let go of it. So I would just encourage you as we wrap up this episode and head into the weekend, maybe spend some time thinking about it. What are things that have been a part of your life? Maybe it's perspectives on, on the world or race or business or anything that maybe helped get you to where you are now. It was a stepping stone in there, but it's not something that you want to carry forward. And it might be even that it's time to pivot and change a business. And that doesn't mean that you need to say that was a waste of time or anything else, but you still can give yourself permission to look at it, to understand it, honor it, and then to let go of it. And uh, I think that a weekend is a good time to do that. Agreed. Great closing thought. We'll see y'all on Monday. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit, where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today.